Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of For the Record. This is week five of season two, and we are continuing on our journey to meet cool people who do really innovative things and disrupt our industry. And today we have a person who has apparently nerves of steel because she opened up her own practice in the middle of the pandemic. She's also a trainer for Allergan and for Renuva. I think she said she did 74 trainings last year in 2021, so she's a busy gal, also owning her own practice. And I want to welcome to our stage Rachel Duke, who is a nurse practitioner and a certified aesthetic nurse specialist in Central Virginia. So Rachel, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me, Tiffany. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I have followed your career for quite some time, coming from Galderma, I knew about you, and then obviously through Nuva, I do some work. And you've been kind of everywhere with training. So you've been around for, for a few days in the industry. I think about 15 years you've been injecting. So give us just an, an idea of your background, where you started and how you ended up here from, you know, really from your, your start in medical aesthetics. Well, um, my background really is in emergency room nursing. Um, that's where I started as a nurse. And of course, like most nurses in the hospitals, just got burnt out and needed a change. And just on a whim, took a job in a dermatology practice thinking I need a break from the hospital. And I absolutely fell in love with aesthetics. Um, it was a great dermatology practice that had a medical spa attached. Gosh, and that was back in 2005. So I had a wonderful opportunity to work with a dermatologist and learn lasers and skincare. And, you know, at that time I was assisting doing Botox and fillers. Um, so then, you know, it just evolved from there. I continued from that point going on to obtain my nurse practitioner and then working um, with several different plastic surgeons in the area. Well, so you got in in the very beginning uh, when, when things were still a disenfranchised mess. So I'm curious from your perspective, now that you're kind of on the cutting edge and doing all the training and really, you know, with all these newbies coming in, you know, these beginning injectors, what's changed? If I can even say that, what's changed or what's the most dramatic thing that's changed since, you know, let's say 2005? Goodness, I would, the growth, I mean, the growth has been, I mean, it's just insane. And the amount of products that we have, it's such an exciting industry now. You know, in 2005, there was not talk at all of nurses or PAs, NPs doing injections. We were there as an assistant. I mean, that's how I started. You know, you drew up the Botox and filler and handed it to the physician and did all the consultations. Um, so I think the, you know, the evolution of NPs, PAs, and registered nurses stepping into that role as injectors, and in some states being able to do laser work, um, that, and then my goodness, how we're us just keeping up with the growth in the industry. Yeah, I feel like if you look at 2005 until now, social media is a giant change, right? Like all this famous, you know, the TikTok, the celebrity, all the things you have to do now versus the 2005s when it was like, hey, if you've got Botox, you're one of the only people in your entire town that probably does it. Like you're going to get patients, right? So it's like a much different environment now. So if you think about that from you as an injector, you know, was that part of the deal when you decided, hey, I'm going to go do this? Did you ever think to yourself, I've got to also be an Instagram celebrity? Like that's going to be part of, part of my job description in 15 years? Not even close. <laughs> it's been a, and I'll be honest, you know, it's been a challenge. 
Um, you know, in 2005, it was everybody went to, you know, goodness, I've worked in, I mean, they're doing billboards now, but that was it, you know, billboards, magazine ads, websites, there was no such thing, maybe a little bit of Facebook, but um, LinkedIn, that was maybe it. Um, so yeah, the change within social media has been it, it's, it has been a challenge from my perspective. Um, you know, again, Richmond's a smaller town, more conservative with their views as far as um, the injectable side, aesthetic side of the practice. So, you know, I was lucky enough to be in early to grow from word of mouth. Um, so I've been able to slowly evolve the social media side um, not having to jump on the, that bandwagon. So I, I've been slow to add on. I'm stepping up my social media game, of course. <laughs> I feel like we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about social media because I think no one thought when they went to medical, you know, the medical profession, I'm going to be an Instagram star. I'm going to do TikToks. Like it wasn't a thing that you ever thought about. Now it's like, if you don't do it, you, you're you not going to make it because it's so competitive. But you came from bedside nursing, obviously, you know, a little bit different than the ER into our world now. I think we're seeing a mass exodus in the industry today from people coming from, even with the, the pandemic, like they're just, they're burnt out, they're tired, coming into aesthetics. So thinking about how it works now from a training perspective, like what should people be doing now thinking about, I want to get into aesthetics. I want to become Rachel when I grow up. What do I do? Like what's step one? Oh goodness. My biggest thing that I tell new injectors or anybody that's interested is you have to invest in yourself. It's huge. Um, you know, of course, the companies offer some wonderful injectable training, but you cannot rely on that solely. You know, I remember when I found that this was my passion, I went to every single meeting that I could find. I made friends with every rep that walked in the office. I made sure I knew who they were, made sure they knew who I was. And I just said, any meeting, any dinner, anything, I will be there. You don't have to pay for me. I will make it happen. You know, if you don't have enough uh, participants available, I'll pay my way to be there. Um, and I think that has kind of gotten lost a little bit. I think I love that social media is there, but I think it does give a skew that this is this, you know, fabulous, you know, starstruck in industry that people are kind of just walking into and you can become this uh, insta famous injector. but you know, I don't think that that's really the way to get started. I think you can use Instagram to um, really position yourself, use it for a marketing tool, but you've got to have the background in education. Yeah, you know, that's what's so funny about, I look at people's Instagrams, they have a ton of followers, and I look at their BNAs, and I'm like, ooh, they're not a very good injector. You know, and you hate to say that out loud. Sorry, guys, if, if you think I'm talking about you, I'm probably not. But I see folks who are very, very famous and have crazy amounts of followers, but to your point, it's like the character, you know, they're, they're playing like a character, they're, they're Beyonce and Sasha Fierce. And then when it comes to their real life, like, what is your practice doing? Do you have good business practices? Do you have SOPs? Do you have safety protocols? It's like, well, that's kind of my second thought. I thought about becoming famous on Instagram first. So I think we kind of sometimes have it flip-flopped where we're, we're working on our reputation first and our social media and our website. And it's like, maybe I'll go get trained after that. I had to talk to an, um, Grace McLaurin, who I'm sure you know. She said, yeah, I have people who they build their practice you know, digital presence and like, huh, maybe I should learn how to inject now. It's like, wait a minute, shouldn't you figure out how to inject first and then build your social media presence? But I think we kind of have a little bit flip-flop in the industry now. But are you training newbies all the time? Is that one of the things that you're doing quite frequently with, with Allergan? Yes, I am. I go out quite a bit with um, new um, offices, new providers and offices and training newbies. Yes. And it, it um, you know, presents a challenge at times because they're just brand spanking new and you have to go back to the foundations. And it's always you're walking into offices and they want to learn tear troughs and temples and 
the, you know, whatever is Insta famous and the sculpted jaw lines. And you have to say, okay, let's take a step back and let's learn a little bit about basics. We will get you there, but it's not going to be tomorrow. So no, but I actually enjoy um, working with newbies because it's really much more of being a mentor and a coach while you're injecting with them um, and giving them that confidence in the room with the patients more so than, you know, of course, the, the skill set is there, but it's building their confidence, which I enjoy. Well, I have new hires here today on site at AR. We have eight new hires in the, our conference room. We just talked about the fact that nurses come from a hospital where they're working on orders or using an EMR that's, you know, a big mega system. They don't sell anything. You know, they have very defined protocols and they come into aesthetics and it's like, okay, now you have your own practice. What do I do now? Like, how do I sell? How do I do a consultation? How do I look at the whole face? Like, they're having to learn not only the injection part, but like how to be independent of anybody else around them like do their own thing and so do you find that that's one of the challenges and what advice would you give a new person saying gosh like consultation selling things like how do you even sell something I don't, I don't sell stuff here what's what's your spin on that goodness <clears throat> excuse me the best advice I was given when I was considering coming out my own was to keep my overhead extremely low do what I do best and don't try to have some big fancy space don't buy the fanciest, newest laser. Do what you do best. And I think it's really for a new injector, whether they're in a practice or whether they're wanting to go out on their own, is really find what you do best and you know, hone in on those skills, become an expert in that area, feel very comfortable doing that, and then move on to learning other skills and adding on to that. Again, it's all about building that confidence. I was extremely lucky to have um, the experience that I had before coming out on my own and having mentors to be able to say that to me, um, to not get caught up in all the big shiny things and do what people know you well for is the injectable side. And then later, if you want to add those things on, you can absolutely do so. I feel like we're cut from the same cloth. I say all the time, don't get distracted by the shiny things. <laughs> the listeners have heard me say the shiny things because I think it's so true. We just, you know, we look at lasers and threads and we look at hydrofacial machines and, you know, diamond glows. And, like there's so many things you could buy everything. I mean, I have no idea what's even out in the laser world right now because there's a new laser every single day. And even injectables, right? We've had this this year alone, we've had infraorbital hollows. We've had sculpture relaunch. We've had radius jaw. We've had... Um, a new RHA come out. Like, there's just so much happening in the industry that it's hard to keep up with all of it. So in your practice today, we're going to get into kind of where you started and what you're doing on your own, but are you f injectable only primarily? I am. Yes, I'm injectable only. I'm doing just toxins and dermal fillers. And of course, now I've added on um, Renuva. Which guys, I got to tell you, it's a great business decision. I mean, do what you're good at and do a lot more of it. And I think you're hiring some people. I saw on Instagram that you're hiring some new associates to come on and help you, like a, a day personal sort of assistant, practice planner, you know, manager. Is it gotten too big that you can't do it alone anymore? Because I'm sure it's going to get big soon, if not already. Yes, it has. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, the challenge of having a new. Oh, wow. This is the challenge. Yeah. Is that your Slack? Yeah. I'll start again. This is the challenge of having a new practice, um, hoping that I could ride this uh, train a little bit longer as a solo provider, and the practice grew much faster than I ever anticipated that it would. Um, again, which is a great problem to have, a wonderful problem to have. Um, I've been lucky enough, you know, not doing in, uh, lasers in the office or doing, I sell skincare products, 
but I'm not doing any skincare treatment. So I've built a great relationship in the industry with other providers. So it's wonderful that we are actually able to refer back and forth. One of my biggest referral sources, referral sources in town is estheticians. I can refer to them um, locally for some skincare treatments. They refer back to me. There's several plastics in town that have lasers and do threads and I refer back and forth. Um, so yes, I have gotten to the point now where I'm starting um, my growth with bringing on an assistant. Um, and then once I'm able to get some things off of my plate, then I'm going to consider even hiring a second injector. I love what you just said about referring out. Like, if you guys didn't catch all that, I, that's gold, Rachel. That's absolute gold because I am a big believer that those relationships in town, estheticians, surgeons, whomever, I mean, that's keeping you from having to do all of it yourself, right? You don't have to buy lasers. You don't have to buy all the skincare devices because you can refer out. I just think that's a giant money source, even with our with our software. Referrals are a big part of our business because they do the work for us, right? They, they help us find people. We send them back out, people for trainings and things. It's a two-way street. So do you have any... Any um, fear or hesitations that they're going to take your patients like the plastic surgery offices, or is it very much like a two-way street all the time? Um, you know, that there is that fear there, absolutely, um, when you're referring patients. But I think you have to take that leap of faith and trust people. And you do, you'll find out which patients end up back in your chair and which ones don't. Um, I've been very, again, very lucky that several, I have a great relationship with several of the plastics in town and we'll text each other. I'll say, hey, I've got this patient, you know, we've done the volume, we've filled them up with volume, but they need some threads or consider laser. And they're so polite to then just say, They'll go to their, and then the patient will come back and say, hey, doctor such and such said, I need a little more filler before he'll do X, Y, and Z. And I love that. But I think it is, you just have to trust that, um, you know, you're doing the right thing. And if you find that you don't have that great relationship and they're not sending the patients back, then you just don't refer again, you know? But you do have, that does take a little bit of a leap of faith, especially if you're a new business owner. Yeah, you got to step out and just give it a whirl. I think one thing that's great for you is you have tenure. People know that you're great at what you do. They trust you, that you have a great reputation. I think if you're a brand new business owner with no established credential of any sort, it's going to take some work to get a good referral network. You got to prove yourself. I, where I think to the discussion earlier about being a great injector, having good before and afters, like my patients can trust you, your patients can trust me. I think there is a time where you kind of have to date before you get married on that. But I mean, I think you're very fortunate in that you've had a very long career with a lot of great accolades along the way, which leads me to my next question about you opening a practice in the pandemic. We were just talking about, guys, she opened it September 7th, 2020, which was the weekend of Aesthetic Next 2020, the virtual um, conference from hell that we had to do at last minute. So I know the pain, Rachel, and the suffering of that weekend alone. Tell us what made you think, gosh, pandemic, let's do it. Let's open up a business. It's going to be great. Well, you know, I've always had the dream um, or the little itch, I guess, to have my own practice. And, you know, COVID actually gave me a little too much time to think with having some of the downtime that we all did. We, you know, we all sat home here in Virginia. We sat home for about two months. And then you get that little itch and think, man, can I do this? You know, what could be worse than this, really? You know, I'm sitting home without an income for two months. So, heck, why not? You know, let's if we're going to do it, let's do it now. Um, and then I was um, also I found the space that I'm in. It's very unique. It's actually a co-working space. So, you know, the initial plan was, you know, my husband and I just started putting feelers out looking for real estate. 
And of course, during COVID, we were like, oh my goodness, it's too expensive or it's too big or, and I wanted to start extremely small. And um, we found a space, it's actually called Balance RVA and it's here in Richmond, Virginia. It's a wellness uh, co-working space owned and operated by a woman, which I love. And she actually has on-site daycare. So she has 10,000 square feet. And so we're all small businesses within the facility. So we share in the, you know, we have conference rooms, we have a podcast room, um, we have a number of things here, but then I could keep my overhead low. And so when I found this space, I thought, okay, this is it. You know, this is the universe telling me it's time to do it. You've found the perfect space and let's go. Well, I commend you for that. We did the same thing with AR coming into COVID. We went to a co-working space. Now we're in a, you know, our own facility, big building, but gosh, the overhead is 10 times more here, right? We have to do all, all of it ourselves. No one has no one has a copy machine ready and has the lights on for us. And it's a lot more work. But to that point, we have um, Sola Salons here in Dallas. It's a, kind of a similar idea. It's all these little salon suites. And I think all the time, you know, do you think patients need a retail, you know, door to, to see your practice walking down the street in the middle of downtown Richmond, you know, or do they care where you are? Is it even a thing? Is real estate really as big of a deal as we think? And if you're growing in your co-working space, maybe maybe it's not. Like I'm on the fence about this discussion, and I have it all the time. Like, do we care where we're located or not? I think it's more about the neighborhood, not the actual building itself. But what are your thoughts on this, Rachel? I'm curious what you think, living through it right now. It's a very good question because that is truly where I'm at in my business right now. The challenge of that, um, you know, do one is do I want to grow larger? Um, and take on the challenges of having my own space, because that's what my husband reminds me, you know, exactly like you said, what happens when the copier breaks or when it snows outside and there's a lot more to think about. Um, but yes, I, you know, I, I challenge that question all the time as far as, you know, having a door, a front retail space. I do agree. I think for the Richmond market, what I have found is location is has been much more important to the patients than the retail space. Because um, I was very, very concerned about being in a co-working space and how for coming, especially from plastic surgery space, how my patients would feel coming into this space. But one, I'm this type of space, they've made it very relaxing. There's calming music. So it being more of a wellness-based space, I don't think the patients feel very uncomfortable. And then once they get into my room and see that it's, you know, it's a mix of clinical, but they feel very comfortable. And they know that because I'm here, they have a little bit more of a closer contact with me. With me, I call it more of a boutique injection experience, or and I really am trying to be more of a concierge type space. Um, so I have not found it to be a distractor for patients, but I could see if you were a new injector or a new business that did not have a following or name where that you may find that very challenging. So I, I agree with you. I think it's one of those areas that um, I think it's great in a way, but there are some things to consider with it. And man, real estate's expensive to rent is just, it's astronomical. But I do love to your concierge note on your website, you say private boutique. I don't know what it is about the word private, but it just seems luxurious to say we're a private boutique, you know, by appointment only. It just sounds so fancy. So have you had help with like the marketing aspect of your business? Is someone helping you with your website? Give us the lay of the land on your digital presence and how you're managing that as a solo provider. Yes, absolutely. I I could not do that if I did not have help. <laughs> um, actually, my person is here. Jason Roop is his name. Um, I worked with him previously doing some PR and marketing within a practice. 
And we just clicked with our outlook on, you know, how much Instagram should be involved and just um, my overall aesthetics with my look. And so I did hire him um, early on, even when before I was considering opening. We planned a dinner meeting and I just said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. Can I do it? Excuse me. And can I do it? And if I do, are you willing to help me and work with me? (laughs) And so he really was the backbone of helping me. So he set up a team of a website designer. I had somebody to help with my logo. Um, We set up uh, the website. I do a, a monthly newsletter. So he and I actually have a meeting, a set meeting once a month, and we walk through the newsletter, updating the website. Um, I do more of the social media myself right now, which I will be expanding and getting some help with that as well. Um, but yes, I could not do that. Absolutely could not do the business without that. I am not tech savvy at all. <laughs> But you do use a set of records, so you must be a little bit tech savvy because you're using a you're using an EMR, which is great, not paper. That's a whole different discussion. But you know, think about you coming out on your own and having Jason helping you is now you have to become a brand. You know, when you work for a surgeon or you work for a dermatologist, you kind of can embed yourself in their world. But now Rachel Duke is a brand, right? You're a trademark. You are an enterprise. Your name is on it for sure, so you can't escape it. Did you think about that? Like, how do you reinvent your brand to be unique and separate from what it was when you were working for somebody else? Is it just a logo that changes? Is it, you know, your demeanor, your experience? Like, what what changes when you go out on your own versus being employed somewhere else? Goodness. I When I've worked with plastics um, locally here in town, I have been a 1099 when I was working with them. So I did, I was able to have a little bit of that where, I kind of had, you know, people were coming to me more for my brand and have followed me throughout the years. Um, But that is actually more of a challenge being in an office because I had, you know, kind of my outlook on what I wanted my brand to be. I wanted to be more of a higher end boutique type concierge practice. Um, My approach is a little more conservative to patients. I'm much more about education and developing very long term uh, patients that are have been with me for years. It's not about the quick um, volume. You know, I'm really about the you know, that patient that's here and spending years with me. Um, So I found that really the the patients, it, it wasn't too much of a challenge, honestly, um, building that brand because I, I did know what I wanted. Um, and I find that the, the patients appreciate it. I've had so much great feedback that, you know, they love my newsletter. They love the feel of my space. They love that I'm actually accessible to them. Um, I I send, um, they all get a cell phone number where they can text me directly. Now that comes with a challenge, of course. Um, but they, I really think that that has helped, but you know, it's more so a challenge of being on my own and, uh, more so than building that brand. Well, and for people who think, you know, you and I discuss this on email, they look at this and they say, gosh, what a sexy place to be. I'm going to, I'm going to make a gazillion dollars. I'm just going to do Botox all day. It's going to be so fabulous. Which you and I both know that is not reality. Gosh, I wish I wish it were that way. I'd be leaving this career and going to that career instead. But how did you adapt to that, or what what, what advice would you give someone who's coming in saying that with these like rose colored glasses on, saying this is going to be such a great adventure of like this is actually really really hard work, especially when you're alone trying to be the phone person, the janitor, the the clinician, the business owner, the website girl. What are some good tips that you've learned, or, or good time management tricks that you've learned along the way? Well, Tiffany, I'm still learning. <laughs> Aren't we all? 
Yes, I'm still learning the time management. Um, I'm a little OCD and want to be involved in everything. Another reason why I chose to come out on my own. Um, so I do think, you know, yes, it's it's a huge challenge. I will say, you know, I I'm exhausted at the end of the day. You know, you are just tired. And when you work for another, when you work for practices or you're working in offices, you get to close that computer at the end of the day and you can clean out your day and say, hey, I'm done for the day. I'm starting fresh tomorrow. You are never done. You're never called up. So you just have to learn uh, when to prioritize. I think that was the hardest part for me was learning when to prioritize. And I had my husband say to me not long ago that you are not in control of your patients right now. Your patients are in control of you. So I think it's setting those boundaries. I think that's the most important for a provider that's out on their own. You have to set boundaries with what time you're going to start work in the morning, what time you're going to leave. Because as a new business owner, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'll see you at seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, come in. I'll see you at nine o'clock at night. I'll work through lunch. Well, you learn very quickly. You cannot please everyone and you cannot be here 24 hours a day. So I think it's really, um, you can make people happy. You're not going to make everybody happy. I say it all the time. The patients that belong in my chair will end up in my chair. Um, I'm not going to click with everyone and not everyone's going to click with me. Um, so really, I think, you know, it goes back to prioritizing and setting boundaries. We have a role here at AR, <laughs> to your point. If you can't do it with 10, you can't do it with 1,000. So you know, or vice versa, really. So things like, you know, texting your cell phone, we say, you know, when you're small, you can do that, right? It's easy to do a few patients, like if you're a brand new injector, brand new practice owner. But what if you have a 1000 patients? What if you have 10,000 patients? Like, can you still do it then? If the answer is no, don't do it now, because patients start expecting it. And then when you stop doing it, like, what the hell, Rachel, you stop doing that? Like, what's going on here? Then they're mad at you because you got your life back. And so we, we were big about here, you know, of course, I work 20 hours a day. Sure, that's just who I am as a human. But when people text me in the middle of the night for help, I'm like, I'm sorry, but I can't help you at, at you know midnight. It's not going to be an option for us because if I'm not going to be able to do it now and I can't do it then, then it can't be the precedent that we set. So I'm with you on that. You've got to think about whatever you set up today as your protocol and your boundary. Even when you try to change it, they will push back. Oh, but I'm a VIP. I've been here since the beginning, which is great. But I, that doesn't mean I can still text you at you know two in the morning. So I think you make a very valid point that you got to set it up now and stick with it because scale is hard when you grow it, especially with being like a concierge, private injectables. I'm sure you're doing you know high margin, low volume. You know, one patient gets a lot of things. That's a lot to take on when you grow. Um, so kudos to you for doing it now. But sister, you got to get out of that. They're going to wear you out and put you in the grave. <laughs> So if you hire another nurse, are you thinking you're going to hire another RN soon or another MP? Give us your ideas on hiring because I'm curious for a new injector or a new spa owner. Like, how do you decide who to hire, where to go look? How do you recruit? Like, what's your mindset on onboarding and recruiting new talent? You know, <clears throat> I've been I've been considering that. And, you know, it's great to think, gosh, I'm going to, you know, bring in this experienced uh, provider or I want to grow somebody from the ground. And I've been talking to a lot of colleagues and mentors a lot that I've trained with. I, that's my first question. Do you prefer to hire an experienced injector or do you want a novice injector? And I've gotten mixed reviews. Um, so I, you know, I love uh, to, um, to train new novice injector. So that really would probably be my first choice to bring somebody new in, um, you know, really mentor them, have them shadow me, kind of build them from the ground up. But when it comes to that point, I'm going to take it very slow 
interview. Um, it will probably be like a trial. They will have to shadow me for so long, watch them inject so many patients. It will be probably a six month, you know, three to six months, depending on their experience onboarding. Yeah, I think you can never discount the onboarding period for new injectors. But I'm glad you mentioned that. That's the number one question I ask all the time to people. It's like, what, what would you rather have? Like, it is, I think it's pick your poison. You know, it's like if you get a brand new person, you have to, to your point, train them and develop them. Then they do it your way, right? They're the Rachel Duke clone. You get an experienced person who can turn loose early, but then they do it their own way, not your brand way, which hopefully they'll conform. But if they don't, they're on their own. But they have Rolodex. But then if they leave you, they take your patients with them to the next place that they go. So it's like, I don't I don't know the answer. It's like either way, you've got disadvantages, you have advantages. I don't think there is any secret uh, secret sauce there. I wish if there were somebody, let us know. Call in and let us know because I'd love to know the answer too. But if you think about your onboarding of new injectors, so let's fast forward now. You're a year down the road, two years, three years down the road. Do you bring on devices? Do you bring on, when you have extra headcount, lasers and an esthetician? Like, what is your future plan of your practice? You know, initially when I went into this, I did not go in thinking I would have any devices. Um, I really went in thinking that will be injectables only boutique, um, possibly some skincare. Again, I have a wonderful relationship with several estheticians in town. So, of course, you know, we've kind of talked and hit around with, you know, do we group together and expand or do we continue to just keep um, referring back and forth? So, um, you know, short term goal would be, you know, bring in an extra injector, of course, get some things off of my plate and my training has picked up. So, of course, you want to think business wise as far as the business making money when you're not in the practice. And again, you can't be here every day. Um, And then, you know, maybe consider how that goes with staff and employees, because talking with colleagues, that is the biggest challenge, um, having colleagues. I will probably never have, um, or I don't foresee myself, you know, never say never, um, foresee myself having a big med spa with 20 plus employees and multiple rooms and um, uh, devices. It will probably stick much more with the injectable side of the practice. I love that. Know what you want to do and go do it. Gosh, I wish people could hear that all over everywhere because everyone comes to us saying, I want to own a giant med spa. Like, let's let's see what you really want to do. Like, I know that you're hearing that that's the right thing to do from, from your colleagues in the industry, from people who are around you. But is that where your heart is at? And if it's not, you're going to be miserable times 20. You know, as you grow, it's going to get more and more miserable the bigger it gets, the more out of control. And you see people who now, you know, go on Instagram and say, gosh, I want to become the pie maker. I don't want to be the pie shop owner anymore. It's too hard. I love making pies and now I can't make pies anymore because I'm too busy running all the things. And so they're walking away from injecting because they're managing their practices. And then, you know, then it's like whatever your heart tells you to do, it's like, I can't do it anymore. And it's a very sad place to be. So I applaud you for knowing what you want and doing it because people are just so confused sometimes about that. And it, and it, my, I, I hurt for them to say, just own it. Like, do what you, we had Michaela McLean on last week. She's like, you know, you got to know what's good for your soul and go do that thing, do more of it. So kudos, Rachel, to you to know what you want and go do it. But you mentioned training. And so you're training a lot. So as a business owner, how do you balance what you make in a training? Because I know what you guys make versus what you make in a day injecting, because it ain't the same, guys, not even close. So how do you make that decision? You know, I think with training, it you know, it looks you know, people think, oh my gosh, you're making so much money and you're traveling and flying and it looks so glamorous. And no, I mean, you know, this weekend, Friday, I flew, I worked most of the day, flew to Arizona, did a training all day Saturday, flew Sunday to Roanoke, did a on hands, hands-on training and 
drove home Monday night. You know, that is not glamorous. <laughs> You're not staying in fancy hotels and, you know, eating prime rib for dinner. It's not the way that it works. You have, if you really want to train, you are not doing it for the money. That's what I say to everyone. Your your heart is not in it for the money. You'll, you'll be miserable. You will not do a good job. You're going to get burned out. Um, you're doing it because you love to help others. You want to share your knowledge. You want to increase the knowledge in the industry. You want everybody to be their best. I get, you know, I love injecting. I love being in my office with my patients. I've built wonderful relationships. But when I leave a successful training, I I, can, I just sit in my car and I have so much joy um, when you when you leave a training like, you know, the training that I did on Monday, we're teaching cannula, very seasoned injector. I walked in. She was scared to death. She said, I'm not doing this cannula thing. And when we left, she I mean, you know, she's not 100 percent skilled, but she felt very comfortable to then do a model patient this week after I left. And that just makes you feel so fulfilled when you leave a training like that. So I, I think you have to look at the educational piece, um, whether it be podium speaking, because that's not in it for the money either, publishing, um, speaking for uh, pharmaceutical companies and talking, you, you're not doing it for the money. Yeah, I know what you guys make it. Running gain for so long, you know, people who are traveling nonstop training every single day. I mean, you have to love it or else to your point, the burnout would be just absolutely horrendous. Like running the trainings, I was so burned out doing it. At one point I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's just, it's horrible because it's just so much work and everyone's so needy and they, they need you. And, you know, you feel great doing it, but my gosh, you got to turn around the next day and be magical again. And then next day, magically, you know, you're constantly on this magical journey and no one's pouring into you. But I see, you know, to your point about your med spa staying sort of smaller and more boutique, you're making a giant impact in a different way. So I think you're filling up your cup of having a big impact, big change, shifting the industry, but just from a different perspective, which I applaud because I think we don't have enough training in this industry that's good enough to sustain long term. We're, We're innovating so fast. We can't keep up with the training. We don't have enough good trainers out there training. We have all these limitations on on-label, off-label manufacturers, you know, different things. And I'm sure, I know that you're very aware with Allergan, you know, training for them all the time. But if you think about that, like going into practices and training and doing all that, if I look at accounts now, or, you know, or even injectors now who are doing trainings and they're only working with a manufacturer, like I'm only going to wait for Rachel to come here from Allergan and give me my Allergan training. What is your advice to those people like to go beyond that? Like your step one, like what should be next for them? Because I feel like a lot of our listeners have brand new, they're brand new to the industry and they're looking at Galderma, Allergan, MERS and say, train me, train me. Like that's not going to be enough. You're going to have to keep on going past just that one, you know, paid manufacturer training. So what's their next step? You cannot rely on the pharmaceutical companies to grow your experience and education. That might be a great way to be introduced to the, um, products that they're offering or a new refresh on a new product or a new indication, but we are so limited within those trainings, training on label and our time frame. Sometimes um, you have to get out beyond that. You have to reach out. And there are very reputable training, continuing education training courses. Um, I will say, you know, look at who's at the podiums, look at who's publishing, look at who's training for these organizations. Most of them have very well, very organized private training programs. A lot of the injectors will come out privately and train with you. So I'll tell a lot of times, if you find somebody in an Allergan or Galderma training that you click with, reach out because a lot of them will come out privately and work with you. 
and spend more time. And then you can grow a mentorship where you can continue to um, relate to them or reach out to them for uh, questions. That's another great thing. I always forget something that I didn't do in the beginning. I tend to be much more of an introvert. So I tell new injectors, reach out. If you find somebody that you click with, find your group, find those people that you can call and say, oh my goodness, I'm struggling. Or can I send you this picture of this patient? How would you approach this? Or I have this complication, make friends within the industry. Most of us are all very nice. We're all here to help. Um, There's not, there's plenty to go around. (laughs) So yeah, so taking it back, of course, I went on my little soapbox. Um, Yes, you've got to get away from the company educational pieces only you've got to reach for training on your own. Um, I say always go to a a large program once a year, you know, like Aesthetic Next, I'm a I do a lot in um, I-SPAN, something like that, something that you go to a minimum of once a year, and then some type of an anatomy cadaver course once a year as well. And there's so many good ones now, too. I, I feel like anatomy and cadavers have become the thing in 2020 and beyond. It's just like it's everywhere. But I like what you said about finding your tribe. So I don't know if you're part of the Aesthetic Mastermind group or not, but I know that Haley and Don, so Haley Wood, Don Segrillo, built this incredible group of like colleagues who you know are sharing information and, and learning from each other and best practices around business, social media, injecting. And I find that without us having a society in aesthetics, which is a, kind of a sad thing for all of us that we don't have one, in lack of the society norm here, we don't have that. But I think these groups are a giant ad- asset for you guys. Like they're a huge help. These nurse, you know, nurse boards on Facebook, these groups that come together and learn and train together and, and go to conferences together, like a great place to just bounce ideas off of one another because we don't have any sort of governing board, which is a different issue entirely. We need to have a governing board in aesthetics, but we don't. So I think you guys are grassroots level. You're building it, right? In the absence of having it, let's just build our own thing. So is that the group that you're in? I, I hate to not know the answer to this, but do you do? are you part of the masterminds group? I am not part of it, but I have attended their conference. So they hold a conference once a year, typically the beginning of June. Um, and it was wonderful. I went last year and I plan to go this year. I'm not part of the original uh, masterminds group, though, but they are all a huge source of uh, references. I reached out to several of the girls in as well, the, of the women in that group when I was opening my practice and they were. I'm just willing to, I mean, Dawn set up a, uh, she said, Oh yeah, sure. Here's, I sent me a zoom, you know, uh, invitation. And I thought, well, I didn't ask for that. I just wanted to few minutes of your time. I mean, they truly do care about you and helping you and wanting you to do it right. And they don't mind taking time out of their practice to do so. What I find interesting about this industry, and I can't get my finger, I put my finger on it. I get my head around it is you know, we call them the OGs, those folks who've been here, you know, 10, 15 years or longer, have that mindset. They're very much invested in the future of the industry because they've lived through, obviously, all the chaos, you know, the sculpture coming off, the sh- all the things they've gone through in this industry. And they're very focused on, let's move the entire industry forward, put on our, you know, united front, our united face. And I find the people who are maybe less than five years, it's the exact opposite. And you often think it would be different, right? Where if you're brand new, you'd be like, oh, gosh, I want to learn and be part of everything. And if you're older, you'd be like, eh, I have this thing licked. I'm on my own. I'm good. But I think here it's just exactly the opposite. And I can't figure out why it's that way. But, you know, I look at like Connie Brennan. I look at Grace, all these, you know, Julie Bass Kaplan. These guys have been here, been around forever. They will give of their time so freely and so, you know, welcoming to people who have questions. And 
I don't know. I just feel like as a, as an industry in general, we got to get to where we're all kind of in that same mentality. This community of a competition thing. I had an account say, "No more Mean Girls. We want Mean Girls to be over." And I think that we've got to get there because you know, again, society wise, and of course, we're always going to have infighting. Plastics have it. Derm- we all have it, but we do lack this cohesive nature because we're not under some governing group. But you're part of Cans, which I think is kind of our closest thing that we have. And you were like the first Cans, I think, in Virginia, if I'm not incorrect on that. When did you start the CAN certification? Was it like 10 years ago? It had to be quite a while ago. Oh, goodness. I can't remember the original. Um, I did sit for the original CAN's exam. It has probably been eight to 10 years since they've started that. Because um, I, I span, I got involved in very early um, in my study career. So um, I was able to make friendships there and found that. Yes. So goodness, I just still, I cannot remember when cans, but I did sit for the first exam. Yes. But that organization has been wonderful. And I do agree to your point. We do not have a group society meeting. You know, we have the cans. I know different specialties within aesthetics have some societies and meetings, but wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us together could have some type of a group organization where we all came together. And just to say, like, what's level one? Like, what is beginner versus advanced? Because you see, you see this. I know master injector, advanced. Like, who said that? Who who crowned you the master? Was it because you were on the top one hundred list in America, or are you actually a master? And by the way, what does that even mean? So I think we we have a very uh, muddy culture here around what is what is a great injector. And these poor sales reps are trying to navigate this. You know, you have sales reps that figure out who's a good injector to be a trainer, who's not. They don't know either. So it's kind of a cluster. But to the CAN's point, I think that there is an opportunity there, you know, as we grow as an industry to have nurses go sit for that exam. And, you know, if you recall back many, many days ago when you took that exam, I'm actually working on it for Aesthetic Next this year to get them to come here and do a review course. That's as close as we have. And I think it's a very robust exam. You learn a lot about lots of different things. You're part of ISPAN at that point, which is a great place to be. So it has that, has being part of CANS, like kind of being part of that group opened up new things for you? Was it helpful in the beginning? Was it a big catalyst for you? I'm trying to get some advocates to go take the CANS test, Rachel. I want them to go get certified. Oh, yay. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge proponent for it Um, because I really think it sets the standard for nurses, especially that uh, are in the aesthetic field, you have to have a minimum years of experience. So I agree with you, these people that are saying I'm a master injector and aesthetic specialist and this and that and the other, but who is saying that? Where's your certification? What is your background for this? So ISPAN has really tried to set a standard that there's a minimum years requirement. You've had to work under a certain type of physician and the test covers multiple. It's not just injections, it's lasers and sclerotherapy and complication management. So you really have to have a huge background in aesthetics in general. Um, And I think, you know, and to maintain that, you have to have X number of continuing education credits per year. So it makes you stay on top of your game within the aesthetic field as well. Well, and you said in the very beginning of this, that you, when you were brand new in the industry, you reached out to your reps, you went to meetings, you went to dinners. I read a thing on Instagram last night or Facebook that said, you know, don't forget that your reps are not part of your business. Don't let them in the front door. And I'm thinking to myself, if you want to survive in this industry, you better make friends quick because they dictate who gets on podiums, 
who gets research because unfortunately for the pharmaceutical companies, the way it works now is like, who should do the study? Oh, well, who's a big user of our product? You know, who's, who do we like? Who's a great speaker? Because whoever does the study has to go on podium next and actually talk about it when it gets approved and, you know, the indication comes forward. So I'm like, guys, if you've read that, it's wrong. Your reps are your conduit to all the things that are out there for you because we call the reps even here and say, hey, who do you have in Virginia that would be great on podium? I have a group there that wants a speaker, wants a trainer. And I call the rep in, in Gal Durbin. She says, oh, I think it should be Rachel or Allergan, it should be Rachel. I just feel like the reps kind of, they connect us all together, cans, it connects us all together. The more you get your hands in these things, I just think the more your brand floats to the top and you get involved in things that you would have never had access to otherwise. So I don't know if you depend on your reps, but I think it's just the dinners, the marketing teams, when they come into your town, make the time to go meet them because it will help you. It'll pay off eventually, I promise you. It's a nightmare at the time. You know, your schedules are busy, but just go do it. It's just the thing you got to do. So that's my soapbox. I absolutely agree with you. It's networking. It's just basic networking. And I know we don't always think of, you know, again, you think that you're going to walk in the room and inject Botox all day and make a million dollars. That's not the way that it works. You've got to network. And because you want people to remember, it's like anything else later when they're not, when you're not there around them, when somebody calls and says, who do I need for this and that Rachel Duke comes up in their mind. And, you know, you, you want to work with people that you like, you know, I mean, let's be honest. We, we all love our jobs, but we all want to go to work every day and have relationships with people and work with people that we like. So I have wonderful relationships and friendships, people that are reps that used to be reps that are now on to other jobs and industry and not even in uh, aesthetics anymore um, that I've just made friendships with throughout the years. Well, in case in point, I had the people from Renuva call me. I work with Renuva as a consultant and have since they've kind of gotten into aesthetics. And their person called and said, hey, I have this thing, uh, this trainer, I think, you know, probably pretty good. Have you ever heard of her? Do you know anything about her? I said, oh, who is it? Rachel Duke. I'm like, oh, yeah, hire her. She's good. You're fine. She's a good one. But they called to ask, could I ever heard of you? You know, do you think she's a good enough trainer? Could she be on our faculty? And I'm like, oh, yeah, she's great. Because I knew you from my time at Galderma, just knowing your name, seeing you at conferences, knowing what you do. Again, networking. I had never actually physically met you, I don't think, at the time that they called me to, you know, whatever long ago it was, but I knew your name and I knew you had a great reputation. So here we are. Fast forward. Now you're part of Renuva family. So for those who are listening who have no idea what Renuva is, I'd love to take a quick transition because I think that's a product that you have to be um, adventurous to take that on. Like, I'm curious what went through your mind thinking, huh, I'll do this, you know, adipose allograph matrix fat thing and see if it works for my patients and, and kind of what's your journey with that so far? Goodness. No, I agree. I had no idea what it was. (laughs) And I had an opportunity that was presented to me because locally I was known um, with my, for my injection skill. And it was actually, um, because here we go with relationships, it was a rep's wife who had gone through some treatments and she would not care me saying had lost a lot of volume in her face. Um, And so they said, Rachel, would you be willing to inject her? But we've got this new product that we want you to use. Well, okay. So there you go. Then you start looking, send me papers. Let me read about it. Let's talk to colleagues. And, you know, the first time there was a struggle because the the product used to come in a powder form. So it had to be hydrated, which was not really fun to work with. And not many people had used it. So a lot of people were saying, what is this? You know, how do I do this? Um, The product has been reformulated now, so it's much easier to work with. But I saw the results that she had and um, they're very natural. So what the product does is it it basically stimulates your body to 
uh, grow its own fat cells. You're stimulating uh, fat cells in the area. So it can be injected anywhere in the face, body, or hands where um, you have natural fat there. So the results are very, very natural. Um, and so I was very um, lucky in the beginning to have that opportunity to be able to have the experience with it. And then, you know, just having that relationship and experience, I was able to stay in contact with them, have other, you know, purchase the product and trial it on other patients. And I've been very happy with it. It is though recommended only for advanced injectors. You know, there is some learning curve with the product. It's not an HA, um, but I do think it's going to have a place in the aesthetic market. Um, I think it's going to take a little time to get it out there and launch it, but I think it's got a great place. I think we're going to see a lot more um, products like this in the future. Yeah, I think about a sculpture relaunching this year, you know, this regenerative idea, this platform product versus, you know, the HA spot filler correction idea is really growing. You know, you hear, I think Shino Bay just said it a few weeks ago on Instagram, like this is the future of aesthetics. You'll you'll be using filler as like the icing on the cake, but you'll be using your platform improvement, you know, your volume enhancement using a Sculptra or Renuva or even like a, a Radius, you know, some folks using Bellafill. I think that we're seeing a bit of a shift in the tide that people are really looking forward to your, you know, to what you said, the natural result, the gradual over time result. I think Renuva guys is a beautiful product, by the way, but you have a, make a great point in the beginning. It was so hard. Now it's so easy. But it's an interesting concept because, you know, it's derived from like human tissue. And so in the marketing words, it's like, oh, it's cadaver. No, it's not. It's, you know, it's it's um, a vascular. There's all these things about it, right? But as a new injector coming on, that's a prime example of you saying, I'm going to just lean into this and figure it out. Like, I'm going to make my mark and do it and go. And, you know, I'm sure you're probably the only person in your market who's using it. But you, again, you stepped out on faith and just tried it and it worked. Kind of like your referral system that you're just, you got to trust it and go. So I'm sure that they, you know, as for sure patients who are getting it with you, you're their only source of it and they're getting a great experience, but it's hard to inject. You got to be an advanced injector. And yeah, I think that you make a fine point that people thought about, huh, who would that be? Oh, it's Rachel Duke. She's the person that we, we would need for this. I just think that the networking, you know, even getting renewed in your practice, like it's just so important for people to know who you are and how good you are and what you're doing and, you know, in a different way than just Instagram, in a different way than just making great TikToks, which by the way, is fine to do, guys. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but... There's more to life than TikTok. I don't know what it is yet, but I hear there's I hear there's more out there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But what's next for you, you know, individually? Are you looking at podiums? Are you looking at, you know, we have a little meeting called Aesthetic Next that, you know, we'd love to have you at. But what's your next big splash besides just growing your practice? Like, that's not enough. Well, of course, doing more trainings. I've committed to um, some more trainings uh, this year. Um, uh, they are a couple of, you know, Allergan that I work with is doing more of a, it's called an accelerate program where they're focusing on all new injectors, their weekend programs. So I've committed to that. Of course, some Renuva training and then yes, hopefully some podium um, time speaking at the podium, but really just growing, growing the practice of course. And yeah, just getting out there and doing the training because that truly is what I love outside of injecting. Well, I've, I saw this accelerate on the Instagram, um, on the Instagram, what about 108 years old on Instagram this weekend. And I was like fascinated by that. Like that's what we've been needing forever is like a truly focused, targeted new injector training. Like, I, kudos to Allergan. I think it's a genius idea. It will differentiate their company, you know, because what you just said before about these guys, it's a different kind of challenge, but it's fun to watch them like learn. The light bulb goes off. They get so excited about it. They go home and they're so ready to inject. It's a different vibe. But on the flip side of that, are you doing infraorbital hollow training as well for Allergan? Yes, I'll be doing that. So that that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Um, we're, we're going very slowly, which I'm excited about. 
Um, we're taking it very slowly. The um, people who are, will be trained on it are handpicked. So this, this will be interesting. I'm excited for it, but, and it does, I mean, we need good training on it uh, and more so just the educational piece of picking the appropriate patients. But um, I'm glad that we're taking it slow with launching it in the market. Well, I'm glad to see that they're being very selective because what you said, the very first thing about training, when you walk into a training for a new injector, they want to know tear troughs and temples. I swear you can almost look at your watch minute six. Yep, tear troughs and temples. Here we go. It's just what people ask for. And now you're going to have to say, well, we could train you on tear troughs. But we're going to wait on that, take a hard pause, and we'll come back to that in a couple of years. But I think that the idea of being very selective, even if you're a private trainer doing trainings in your own clinic, you've got to be selective on things like that. Just because the adverse event profile, you know, just liability and risks and, you know, having medical directors and medical boards and nursing boards, you've got to factor in a lot of risk. And so I, I applaud Allergan for being highly selective in what they're doing there. But you have to let us know in six months how that's going for you because I'm curious to see how those trainings go, you know, how they go down. But for the record, we have enjoyed having you. I think we're at an hour, which I think, Rachel, is crazy. It's been an hour already. And I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that we've covered a whole lot of ground about building a business, about becoming a trainer, about networking in the industry, your perspective on many, many things. And I foresee great growth in your future. I love that you're sticking with your injectables, that you're doing what you know, what you love, and sticking with that. But also all the training that you're doing, I think is fantastic. And guys, heed her advice. Go and do manufacturing training, but go get private trainings, cadaver labs, society events. Go to all things that you can get your hands on so that you can just be totally engrossed in all things aesthetics. I just think it's a right now is a time to become a very educated injector because we just have so much coming at us all the time in the industry. So kudos to you for surviving and thriving in aesthetics right now, Rachel. You're doing a fantastic job. But I'd love to hear any of your parting thoughts. Give us, you know, how to find you, your Instagram handle, your website handle, all the things we need to know to find you. So rachelduke.com and emails rachelduke at rachelduke.com and Instagram is at rachelduke.np. So, Tiffany, I just wanted to say thank you so much for um, having me on. I'm honored to be here. And thank you so much that, for what you're doing in the aesthetic industry. So, well, I appreciate that. And you know what, guys? Don't call Rachel. Whatever you do, don't call her. She gets enough texts and phone calls from patients, so don't call her. But we hopefully will be seeing you in September on our stage talking about all the things that you've that you've known, learned, and, and grown in the past 15 years. But, again, thanks for coming on. And, guys, we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.